Chapter Eight of Red Diamonds by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Eight, The Pocket Book. Gerald Aspen lived in a set of chambers high up in an ancient house at the foot of one of the streets leading from the Strand to the river. They were cheap for the young lieutenant of the catapult had to husband his resources but they were comfortable they were clean and because they were high up they possessed an unrivalled view to left and right the river wound its way between the stately embankment of the one side and the crazy wharfs of the other in the greenness of summer in the greyness of winter gerald always found the prospect from his watch-tower a pleasure for his gaze and of nights summer nights it gratified him much to open his windows and lean out propped on his elbows far into the night and to fancy himself like the poetic notary of jean paul richter's story with his eyes in the stars and his soul in the blue ether it pleased him too to fancy that from the high pitch of his lodging he could look down like another diogenes teufelsdruck upon the absurd imbroglio of the world beneath him and survey it with the calm eyes of a serene impartial philosopher gerald aspen was still very young on the morning after his meeting with the curious stranger in the club he awoke at a late hour but still with a sense of fatigue strong upon him he had gone to his social entertainment it was a ball given by a great financier to the ladies of the frivolity theatre and he had danced a little and supped a little and finally he had come away and walked home and had written his account of the revelry in time to catch the last post and had read a few pages of fiction to clear his mind and big ben was chiming half-past three when he put out his light and slipped with the swiftness of still unspoiled youth into the spaces of dreams now as he lay half awake and looking at the sunshine coming through his window the great clock chimed again and he lay lazily listening to its strokes i wonder what time it is he said to himself luxuriously enjoying his monarchy of the lubberland of bed it must be getting on to ten o'clock but the chimes did not stop at the tenth stroke they went on for two strokes beyond twelve o'clock said gerald by jove i am late this morning and he assured himself mentally that he must get up immediately and go about the day's work but he did not get up immediately and go about the day's work for his wakened mind was occupying itself with the night's work a confused medley of memories floated before him 
the pretty dresses and pretty faces of last night's dancers and through all the pretty faces and the pretty dresses he was anxious to pursue two other memories somewhat formless and intangible which he was trying to reduce to clearer proportions at last the first of these memories took the form of a woman's face framed in the open window of a carriage it was a very beautiful face crowned with soft golden hair a face in which a curious expression of melancholy contrasted with its girlish freshness a face with very bright eyes which also were full of melancholy through all his dreams that face had floated alluring inspiring blending strangely with the fantastic visions of dancing feet and laughing lips which his last night's revel had set stirring in his dreaming brain now awake he sighed for it as one does sigh on awaking for some visionary phantom of delight that has greeted the sleeper in the kingdom of dreams then the sigh changed to a smile as gerald remembered that the beautiful wistful face was no mere creation of sleep but the face of a living girl of a girl whom he was likely soon to meet the face of fidelia locke but there was another memory haunting him as well as the memory of the face of fidelia locke it was a perplexing memory of something not beautiful of something fantastic something incongruous which worried him because he could not quite realize it could not as it were piece together the puzzle of shifting recollections that was occupying his mind suddenly however it all came back to him in the suddenness with which such things do come the chaos of scattered memories combined and evolved the form of a big man in yellow garments and the picture of his companion at dinner on the previous evening rose before him immediately gerald's mind proceeded along the track of the entire episode at the voyagers club and he found the episode so fantastic so preposterous that he decided within himself that the whole story must be neither more nor less than a dream begotten of a late supper and the production of a column of copy thereafter but even as he came to this sober decision he turned his eyes towards his dressing-table and saw lying there in the spot where he had placed it in the previous night the leather pocket-book which the mysterious stranger had insisted upon entrusting to his care then it's not a dream after all gerald said in surprise and the sense of his surprise lasted him all through the process of dressing until the moment when he rang his bell for his landlady to bring him his breakfast before the breakfast arrived he did what till then he had delayed doing out of a whim for reserving the convincing proof of the reality of his vision 
to the moment when he was definitely equipped to face the world there it was no doubt of it just as he had left it last night the same black leather pocket-book fastened with a silver clasp which gerald had in spite of his very natural curiosity left unopened gerald thought of the hero of the french story who dreams that he is visited by a princess of ancient egypt and who on waking finds that she has left her slipper behind her as a proof of the reality of the vision but the bulky black pocket-book was a far more serious responsibility than the pantoufle of a daughter of the pyramids and he resolved to return it to its rightful owner at the very earliest opportunity as he made this resolve his breakfast arrived accompanied by the morning's papers to gerald as an adventurous journalist the morning paper was a treasure-house of delightful possibilities and when he had poured himself a cup of tea he carefully unfolded one of the journals and propped it up before him on the table at the most convenient angle for reading the first thing that caught his eye was a column on the principal page headed in large letters mysterious murder last night in the west end this was evidently the chief feature of the morning's news at least to the reporting mind and gerald with an eye to possible usefulness for the later editions of the catapult began to read it with a careless interest but after a line or two his interest deepened absorbingly and for a few seconds he asked himself in startled astonishment whether he was not still dreaming for the story was the story of the murder in st james's street and the name of the victim was seth chickering there was no mistake about it the man in whose company he had dined last night the man to whose strange story he had listened the man who had insisted on entrusting him with the pocket-book which was now in his possession the man with whom he parted in st james's square only a comparatively few hours earlier was dead murdered struck down in the most mysterious way by some unknown hand gerald's head seemed to swim the whole thing was so strange so sudden so horrible a feeling of pity for his friend of a night blended grimly with a personal repugnance to be mixed up in the matter and with at the same time a curious interest in finding himself so mixed up for that he was mixed up and very much mixed up in the matter was only too obvious even if he had simply met poor seth chickering and had parted from him with no confidences of any kind exchanged between them gerald aspen would have been bound to come forward and tell all he knew but the conditions were much more serious here he was with a portion of the personal property of the dead man in his possession 
with a portion of a very singular story told by the dead man still fresh in his memory it was clearly gerald aspin's duty to lay and that speedily all the information he possessed about seth chickering before the proper authorities and to entrust the mysterious pocket-book to their keeping it must be admitted that for all his horror gerald felt a certain professional satisfaction in being so closely implicated in the st james's mystery a man is not one of the favourite lieutenants of the catapult for nothing and it was not unnatural that an enthusiastic journalist should experience a thrill of satisfaction on reflecting how very much his own journal would be in the know about the matter on which all london must now be talking but this cheerful reflection was barred by another which was distinctly less cheerful how if his connection with the mystery got him into grave difficulty how if he were not able to explain to the satisfaction of the authorities the way in which the pocket-book of the murdered man came into his possession for a single second but only for a single second as this thought flashed across his mind did it occur to gerald that it would be better for himself if he were to leave well alone and quietly drop the compromising pocket-book into the river or into the fire and so save himself from all complication the thought only came to be dismissed with the air of a spartan gerald finished his breakfast assured himself of the presence of the mysterious pocket-book in his breast-pocket buttoned his overcoat heroically and started off for scotland yard but if gerald had been surprised by the discovery of the pocket-book and the story of the murder greater surprises still were in store for him the poor fisherman in the arabian tale was not more astounded when the jar his net had captured proved to be the prison of a genie than gerald was when the pocket-book which had come so curiously into his possession was opened and its contents were revealed the pocket-book contained in the first instance an immense quantity of very valuable diamonds embedded as such treasures usually are by the adept in thin layers of gutta-perca then came two sealed envelopes the first contained a formal copy of the agreement which seth chickering had told gerald of the agreement binding every member of the little association in a common bond the second envelope contained the names of all the members of the association with the names of all the persons to whom in the case of the death of the original owners the money was to go on the first day of the next january to gerald's utter amazement the first name on the list was his own john aspen was the oldest member of the association john aspen was undoubtedly gerald aspen's long-lost father 
john aspen had given the name of his only son gerald as his heir in the case of his death and john aspen was dead and gerald was heir to his share of the fortune the names of the company were carefully set forth in the document and after each of the names something was written in pencil by seth chickering the first name as we have seen was that of john aspen opposite that chickering had written dead overdose chloral taken by mistake the next name on the list was that of captain reginald locke opposite his name seth chickering had written killed in fair fight by blank and then there came only a stroke of the pencil and no name filled up the blank the inheritor of his fortune was stated to be a miss fidelia locke who was described as living in london under the care of the countess of scardale fancy the thrill that went through gerald's heart last night he had been weaving fancies over the face seen for the first time of fidelia locke and now the third name was that of the honourable george percy raven second son of lord wellington opposite his name was written found dead outside camp murdered by noah bland his heir was set forth in the agreement as his younger brother captain the honourable john raven the fourth name on the list was that of noah bland opposite which was written lynched followed by a date some two months earlier his heir was stated to be his son jaffet bland but no address was added nor any hint as to his whereabouts the fifth name was that of rat gundy opposite to which seth chickering had written the one word vamist in this case the name of no heir was given the sixth name was seth chickering's own nothing was written opposite and no heir's name followed End of chapter eight